listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from Megawind Kill Guard Studios. Aaron, it is April 1, and this is not an April Fool's joke, man. We're excited for another episode of Bass Edge Radio. And let me just say, Aaron, a full episode of Bass Edge Radio this go-around. I'm excited to be here. Kurt, it is a full episode of Bass Edge Radio here on episode 373. But as always, all of our episodes and all things Bass Edge brought to us by MegaWare Keelguard. And speaking of our friends at MegaWare there in Ogden, Utah, I understand, Kurt, you were doing a little uh, buzzing around uh, kind of the factory and doing a little mini tour out there. Aaron, what a great trip. I was uh, fortunate to be going out to Salt Lake City area, actually working with Hayabusa Fishing Hooks. And I was able to spend some time with our friends over at MegaWare, got the full factory tour, got to check out the office space, kind of get to know the roots right there of MegaWare in Ogden, Utah. And uh, man, it was a ton of fun. Let me tell you, Wall to wall keel guards. And what an awesome and clean and special operation they have going on there. I, I know that you've been there several times, Aaron. Yeah, it's a, a fantastic operation and certainly uh, hoping that their control of their supply chain is seems to be intact. So, uh, of course, they are moving a ton of product, not just keel guards, but also the battery guard, the scuff buster, the skate guard. Uh, list goes on and on, but everybody can check those things out on their website at keelguard.com. Kurt, uh, you had mentioned we have a full episode, and I just noticed that we have a huge event that's coming up this week, and none other to talk about it is going to be Bob Zimmer from Springfield, Missouri. He's ready to be patched in. My light is blinking, so let's get right to Bob, and he can tell us more about this great event that's coming up. Aaron, as you just mentioned, one of the largest events in 2022 fishing industry is happening March 30th through April 3rd at Bass Pro Shops flagship store in Springfield, Missouri. The event benefiting conservation, and we have with us Bob Zemer, the Bass Pro Shops Cabela's Senior Director of Conservation, to chat about the event and its significance. Thanks for being with us on Bass Edge Radio, Bob. Hey, good morning, guys. Well, Bob, I know we're having to uh, record this a day or so before the actual event kicks off just because your schedule has to be insane looking at everything that is going on there. You know, again, thanks for providing your insight today being on the show, but I'd like to hear about how this World Fishing Fair came together and its vision for Bass Pro Shops Cabela's. Well, again, it, as uh, we're here in Springfield, Missouri, we're just excited not only about our 50th anniversary, which we're celebrating this year, but the upcoming World's Fishing Fair and really how it came together, I'd have to give credit to our founder, Johnny Morris, and his core, really, passion for the out-of-doors. Uh, he first put together a, a World's Fishing Fair in 1988, and that event was just off the charts fabulous. So, you know, how do you combine Johnny's passion for the out-of-doors, uh, people's love for angling? We're creating an event that truly will be a unique celebration, a celebration about angling, a celebration all about conservation. And, you know, it came together over the course of 50 years. How do we continue to keep the out-of-doors, angling included, front and center of people's minds? And, and how do we inspire that love of the outdoors? And I think as we look for opportunities to do that, 
the World's Fishing Fair is a perfect fit. Yeah, Bob, the inspiration is definitely there from star power. Man, the lineup of seminars that is going to be going on is an A-list of A-list. All of the great Bass Pro Shops representatives will be in attendance, as well as some amazing country music concerts, seems like, every evening. Um, This is just going to be a gigantic celebration. Um, How many months did it take for this event to come into its own? Well, I'm being a little bit flippant here, but maybe 50 years. Uh, And and I laid that (laughs) out there because, you know, when people people ask me, you know, what do you expect? And first and foremost, when you're working with Bass Pro Shops, uh, Johnny Morris, what to expect, benefiting conservation. So how does an event like the World's Fishing Fair that uh, truly will be the largest uh, really angling-related event in history, how does it come together? Johnny has put this together in such a way that you reference the Concerts for Conservation, and 50% of the proceeds are going to go right back to on-the-ground conservation initiatives. Johnny's pulling together because, again, we're going to have legends of the fishing world there, but we're also going to have many of America's top conservation leaders uh, at this fair uh, giving presentations. Uh, People are going to hear from the sharpest minds in the industry out there about top topics and how they can become engaged. So, you know, it, it was not a concept or an idea that was developed real quickly. It has been one that, you know, Johnny's vision just continues to develop. So it's been several months, uh, probably even years in the making. Yeah, Bob. And, you know, certainly uh, I don't know if you're aware or not, but I was kind of hoping to keep, you know, I run a, a Nitro 21XL. It's kind of hoping to keep that on the down low, but I guess this World's Fair is going to completely, <laughs> everybody's going to start having a boat just like me out there, I guess. So anyway, but uh, regardless, uh, you know, conservation, you bring up something that's very, uh, I guess, near and dear to both Kurt and I and to all of Bass Edge, because as we all know, making sure that we are able to pass those resources on to the next generation is crucial. And, you know, I'm curious to know, once the World's Fair is complete, how can anglers expect to see Bass Pro Shops continue spreading the wealth of resources into the environment? And what are your current conservation projects taking place that affect our bass angler audience? Well, and and I appreciate that. And and a shout out to you all and your program and, and all it does to get the word out. But, you know, when you look at Bass Pro Shops and the way we're set up. I mean, we're a company, you know, our mission is geared around the outdoors. We have three big priorities. You know, how do we take care of, of the outdoors, the fish and wildlife? Uh, second, how do we make sure that we're, we're on the top policy issues, uh, speaking for the resource? And third, how do you connect uh, the next generation of those anglers out in the field? And 50% of the proceeds from emissions from this event are going to go right back out to conservation. You would ask, you know, what are some of the priorities that we're working with? We do have over 2,000 on-the-ground projects last year from Bristol Bay, Alaska, all the way down to the Florida Keys. Many of those projects just hit home with uh, bass anglers working hard uh, for access into the waterways. That would be a topic we will continue to make uh, progress on and be partnering. Also, habitat. Many of our large impoundments in this country are you know, need some help, need to enhance the habitat within that water body. And and we're working hard. Bass Pro Shops was a leader that started what today is known as the National Habitat Fish Partnership. Uh, Johnny held a amateur tournament uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, from that, we made a contribution of $1.5 million that would go into that as matching dollars to make significant habitat differences. And, and that's just one investment that we've made. Also, partnering with state agencies, and I could the list would be long, but the two that come to mind, uh, Texas and Florida, how do we help those agencies through programs like Share Lunker and Trophy Catch, get their hands on the big fish, figure out which impoundments are creating those big fish, why are they creating big fish, how do they replicate that, as well as getting genetics for the hatcheries. 
And that is something that both of those states are leading the nation, and they're really helping us keep those top-end, truly trophy fish out there for anglers. Man, Bob, that's that's exciting. It's it's so awesome to hear Johnny's vision, Bass Pro Shops, you being a part of that team, provide us as anglers, uh, you know, people that really rely on the resource for our own sanity, right? We love the outdoors. We love being out there. We love catching fish, catching big fish, and uh, all the things that encompass what Bass Pro Shops is really doing to give back to the environment and the resource and, and people in general that like to use that resource. So, uh, Bob, tickets on sale now, also available at the gates, March 30th through April 3rd. I see so many great deals that it's going to be having, you know, there's so many reasons for an angler to attend this flagship Bass Pro Shops event there in Springfield, Missouri, the World's Fair of Fishing. Do you have any concluding thoughts about the event you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I, I would just encourage folks, do not miss this opportunity. Uh, there's going to be uh, events that are even live streamed. If you can't make it on site, bring your buddies, come have a great time. This event is oriented for families. There's all kinds of activities out there, everything from, you know, we mentioned the seminars and first catch fish ponds, uh, up close experiences with animals, uh, dude perfect appearances, the list goes on and on, really geared to families. I would remind folks too that this event is taking place on the campus of the granddaddy of all Bass Pro Shops, as well as the Johnny Morris Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium, the just world-class aquarium that is a must-see for all anglers. That is a phenomenal facility. If you have not been there, you've got to take part, and and what a great time to do that with the World's Fishing Fair taking place. Yeah, I I would second that, and, uh, you know, I've been spoiled from growing up in Missouri and getting to frequent uh, the granddaddy uh, many times, and, and certainly all of the uh, the destination alone is just just well worth it. Bob, thank you so much uh, for carving out time in in what, like I said before, I will just echo it again. All the work that has went into this by you and your team. Uh, wish you the best of luck, and uh, again, just just thanks for being a part of this. I tell you what, let's stay in touch. Hope to see you out on the water, and be sure to to share some photos of those big fish you're going to catch this spring. Absolutely. All right, Bass Edge Nation, there you have it. There you are. Let's uh, take a quick break, and we are going to head right into another ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com tackle tip with MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Pete Ponds. Hey, guys, this ain't no April Fool's. Hey, I got to tell you about a bait that I've been using for years and years, and I'm an old fella, so... Uh, a devil's horse, man. I'm telling you, I, I go down to the store and buy me a devil's horse just like everybody else. But I do a little bit of modifications to it. And I'm going to tell you how to land more fish with this bait when you get them on. Um, one of the things that I like to do on that devil's horse is actually put split rings on it and I actually change out the hooks. I use a number four Hayabusa hook. And then I take the prop on that devil's horse on the backside, unscrew it out, turn the prop around backwards, So therefore, whenever I start working that bait, I give it that cadence that I like, you know, the jerk, pause, jerk, pause, jerk, pause. Actually, a little bit slower than that. My granddad used to tell me, wait till the ripples disappear. The slower you work that bait, the better off you are. That is such an effective bait in modifying it in those ways, helps me land more fish whenever I'm fishing with the devil's horse. Guys, give that a try. I promise you, you will like it. Great tip, Pete. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Bass Angler Magazine is a staple on the west side with the anglers out there, one we should all be aware of. In this special segment, we chat with editor and owner Mark Lassane. Thanks for visiting us again here on Bass Edge Radio, Mark. Hey, man, happy happy to be here. You know, I love sharing with you guys. I love sharing with people and helping them catch more bass. I mean, that's, you know, that's what we're here for. No doubt, Mark. And uh, curious to kind of get an update, what is the latest on Bass Angler Magazine and, and really the kind of new fishing trends that are coming out of the West Coast some folks might not be aware of? You know, that, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, Kai asked me that the other day, and it doesn't really seem like there's nothing new that's a breakout, like all of a sudden all the drop shot's out or the wacky rig is out. You know, but we're, we're out in the West Coast. We're throwing a floating fly. We're throwing a wacky rig, a shaky head, a drop shot. You know, we're doing that. But a lot of times we're dead sticking, you know, we gotta, and we have a story about it in the spring issue. so. A lot of dead sticking, and you know, I fished tournament at Clear Lake last week, and one of the guys was talking about throwing a underspin with a little swim bait on it, and he said he throws it up under a dock, and he got a backlash, and you know, 20 seconds later, he reels it up, and he has a fish on there, and now he came up with this <laughs> new, this new revelation of dead sticking of underspin under a dock, which is you know, that's you know, nobody does that. You just you do that by accident. Right. So, right. You know, that's one thing, and you know, I mean, so last week I, I did okay in the tournament, and we were ripping rattle traps up off the bottom, and you know, that that was pretty fun. Not really a new trend, but um, you know, out in the west, I was fishing Clear Lake, and there's really no grass there, so ripping a, a you know lipless bait off the bottom off dirt is kind of different. You know, it's really not something you would normally do. You know, usually you just do it throw it out into a straight retrieve coming across the dirt. But we were, you know, you'd let it go to the bottom and you'd rip it up. And, you know, it's because the water's cold and the fish are, are pre-spawn and they weren't real aggressive. So, like, when you ripped it by them, you got them, you got them to bite. So that's, you know, a couple couple new things that are, uh, you know, kind of going on. Really not new, but, uh, you know, things that are working and we're catching fish doing it. Mark, quick question on, on some of those new trends. You know, anything that I've heard uh, about, like, the free rig or the Jika rig, you know, those are those are like two things that have kind of, you know, been, you know, let's say, floated around. And what's really interesting a lot of times and historically, you hear some of those things floating around, like free rig or a Jika rig, and then it never really catches on. And then all of a sudden, somebody out west really starts whacking them, and then it kind of moves east. Do you feel like those two particular techniques, the free rig and the Jika rig, are maybe something that could trend out west? Do you see guys using that very much or anglers using that much out there? Not, you know, not much. But, 
you know, I think when, you know, a big tournament gets one on it, maybe we, somebody uses it in the Apex event and we get it on TV and, um, you know, somebody really starts catching them on it. Then it takes off. You know, you see like the trends that, you know, the classic or, you know, that red crest and one guy's using a specific technique or a specific bait and then right. that, you know, that just takes off. And that's a lot of times that's what it takes to make it, you know, take off. It's kind of like, uh, the, you know, the Whopper Flopper, we've been using that for like 15 years out yeah, west yeah. and really catching them. But, you know, Chris Lane takes it out on the Elite <laughs> Series and just whacks them. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're selling a million Whopper Floppers a year. Yeah, it's wild that, how that you know, works. That's what, yeah, that's kind of how it flows, I believe. Well, that's the Power Media, Power Bass Angler Magazine. So uh, we'll keep watching for those new trends coming out. Mark, one, you, you actually just referred to it, the Apex pro tour kind of a new series out on the west coast um can you tell the listeners some of the background of the apex pro tour how they can jump on and follow it it's kind of a neat process it's it's almost like uh you guys uh, have a group of anglers and you're essentially fishing mystery events you've got some dates and all of a sudden they call you and they say hey mark our tournament is coming up in a few days and this is where it's at and the anglers go and they fish these events talk to us a little bit about this apex pro tour going on out there you know it, it is a it's a really fun format so you can follow it on tourney x um and then it's apex pro tour i think it's apexprotour.com they have information on there have all our bios and, and things and you can get information on there but what it is is that it's a, a fishing tournament it's kind of like two tournaments in one one where the person with the most fish can qualify for the top 10, and the person with the heaviest five fish qualify for the top 10. Now, that's in two days. So you catch the most 14-inch fish you can catch in two days, or you catch the biggest 10 fish over two days, wow. and either one of those makes that top 10. So it's kind of, you put a little twist in it, you know. Um, so for me, you know, a couple of events where you think you can find some big ones, but you want to hold off and save those, because the final day is the heaviest five and the whole thing is televised and you know what they do is we'll have we have the dates now and they just let us know okay we're going to trinity lake in uh, northern california which is just a phenomenal lake the right. amenities and the docks and stuff are a little rough but it's such a great fishery a lot of giant fish i went up there and caught an eight and a six and a bunch of fours and you know, had like almost a 30-pound bag for five. It was wow, wow. It should be a fun event. And you can catch almost 30 pounds of smallmouth up there, too. Man, what's neat, it's neat how you guys, you know, brought this together, a group of anglers and kind of morphing really a little bit of the traditional BASS five fish limit per day into the MLF kind of catch, weigh, release, catch what you can format. So it's super cool, man. I, I, I encourage Bass Edge Nation to check out that Apex tour and it's a pretty awesome deal. It is, you know, it, it's a lot of fun and, you know, they have a 30 day off limit. And, you know, I've practiced for a couple of them. And I'm going to tell you, everything changes after 30 days. You might as well not even practice. You just should just show up and fish. It's a lot of fun. Wild West Bass, the Apex Tour, um, you know, you can follow it, watch it, you know, watch it along on Tourney X. And, you know, you can watch for things to happen. I, I can imagine we'll have a live show and, you know, hopefully in the near future and do some stuff like BASS and MLF is doing. You know, it's a fun event. They're really trying to bring a pro series to the West Coast. Yeah, that's exciting, Mark, and uh, really, really neat to hear about that. One thing I do want to get your opinion on, you know, a lot has changed uh, since we had you on here last, just concerning, you know, the economics, I guess, of bass fishing. 
curious how it, you feel the West Coast, uh, kind of the health of bass fishing participation there is, as you know, it seems such an economical battle for Western anglers with the expensive gas prices and you know traveling expenses when the the big water tournament venues are spread out from north to south and into really neighboring states like Arizona and Nevada. Curious to hear your thoughts on that. You know, well, at least when you go to Arizona, the gas prices are a little bit better. We're in the six dollar a gallon deal uh, at my house, so for, for me, <laughs> you know, it, you know, instead of one hundred fifty dollars to fill up, now it's three hundred. So what it's done for me is that it's really, I've done a lot more practicing on the trolling motor than the big motor. You know, instead of running end to end on the lake and all over the place, I, I kind of try to pick an area and I'll, I'll put the trolling motor down and, and fish a lot more like that, you know, cover, cover a little more area more thoroughly versus, you know, run and gun and try to hit all the hot spots and, you know, I save that for tournament day. I still run around and do whatever it takes on tournament day, but in practice, it's really, you know, slowed me down a lot. Well, it's interesting. How, how do you think that's going to affect the participation of the sport out there, Mark? You know, the participation is still really good, and we'll see. You know, the economy's still pretty good. You know, guys are making money. It's just so expensive to live there anyway. It just adds a little bit more, and I'm hoping that it doesn't hurt it too much, that, you know, Time will tell, you know, hoping they get this war, you know, squared away and, you know, things calm down and gas prices come down and, you know, then we'll all be happy and running hole to hole again. You bet. Well, good deal. Well, hey, man, I want to highlight, you know, you always have these West Coast fisheries there. They're producing some giant bags a lot of times. Two hot fisheries I've noticed recently. Last year, Clear Lake was just on fire. Place was ridiculous. I saw a couple of events out there, like, you know, down into the hundred place finishers and in, in some of these events on a one day event, you know, it would take 16, 17 pounds and, and you'd be still in like a hundredth place. It was insane. Now they weren't catching like giant 30 pound bags out there at Clear Lake, but they were catching a ridiculous amount of 18, 19, 20 pound bags. And actually just last week I was watching the uh, US Open event, the Laughlin Open actually over there at Lake Mojave and Mark Jack and 20 plus pound string of smallies. I mean, it's absolutely insane. Uh, so those two fisheries, tell me what's making those two fisheries so hot right now. And if there's any underlying fisheries, I, I kind of, you know, piqued my interest a little bit. You talking about Trinity there just a minute ago, but what are some other hot lakes there in California? And why are those two specifically Mojave and Clear Lake just firing so well right now? You know, Mojave is, I they can see, you know, the smallmouth population has really exploded there. You know, I had an apex event there, and I think I weighed over a three-pound average. Bite was really tough. You can see 30 feet down. So right now, wow. those fish are spawning, and you can imagine, almost feel sorry for the fish. You know, Clinger, <laughs> you know, all those good guys there. And you can catch a bed fish at 15 or 20 feet deep, and you can see them, you know, just plain as day. So I imagine they're just running around to water picking off fish that they want to catch. So that, that makes it cool. Clear Lake, you know, Clear Lake is, they're not spawning yet. They may, you know, they may be starting this week, but it's just such a fertile fishery. You know, they had a downturn, the fish kill a few years back and then right. you could only catch two pounders. And then the next year there are three pounders and now they're three and a half, four pounders. You know, I caught over a four pound average. Uh, last week in a tournament, and I finished top 20, and I didn't even make the top 10 with over a four-pound average. Amazing. So that lake Amazing. is really fertile. Um, you know, Berryessa is another lake. I fish that one often. You know, everybody's heard about it, but the California Delta, the Delta is tough early, 
But if you go there in August, I mean, it can be off the hook. I've had so many hundred fish days in, you know, July and August in the Delta. Just really a fun fishery. And then you have up in the mountains, you have uh, some ones like Scott's Flat. It's kind of a little sleeper. A lot of big okay. smallmouth up there. You know, Trinity has giant fish. Northern drain bass, you know, I caught some big ones up there. That's that's really a fun fishery. You know, kind of when you get off the beaten path up in California, there's, you know, really a lot of good fisheries. So a couple years ago, I guess it was several years ago, we talked to Cody Meyer and, uh, you know, they were talking about Bullard's Bar and how crazy it was with all those giant spots. Are, are the, Is that fishery still firing as well? That fishery's still firing. You know, I haven't heard of the big giant ones. And, you know, it's one of those deals, you know, you get busy. I want to go there, and but you just get busy and have haven't had a chance. That's one of those fisheries that is filled full of kokanee salmon, right? So what happens is those spotted bass, once they get to, you know, close to two pounds, they start eating those kokanee and then they blow up into five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pound fish. So that's, you know, that's what made that fishery so great is the kokanee. And so a lot of times when you go there, you know, you'll catch either a little teeny one or you'll catch a big giant one. You know, it makes it interesting, a lot of fun. Well, Mark, so great to have you on the show and, and catch up. And uh, also just, you know, I, I just really appreciate the ability to uh, be part of kind of Bass Angler Magazine and certainly having that in my hand and being able to stay up on all things bass fishing and particularly the West Coast happenings. Do you have any information you can leave with the audience to uh, be sure and stay tuned with Bass Angler Magazine and how they can uh, find out more information on that? Well, you know, we're doing some more shows. We're going to do the, uh, you know, the Tennessee Fishing Show next year. I haven't told them yet, but we're going to be there. We're at Red Crest this week. We're going to be at Redcrest next year, and we'll probably do a couple more shows. You know, we're trying to get it out, you know, into some areas where people haven't seen it before. But if you haven't, go to BassAnglerMag.com. You know, we got a good website. There's a lot of info on there. Click on the subscribe button. Uh, when you subscribe, you also get a digital edition. So not only do you get the print, you get uh, instant access to the digital right right away at no extra cost. Mark, so great to have you again on the show. Love staying up with the West Side and uh, appreciate you uh, providing that to our audience. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to be with the Featured Angler Spotlight segment next, right after these messages. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Gillis. I'm Pro Angler Bill McDonald. This is MLF BPT Pro, Jacob Wheeler. This is MLF Pro Circuit Angler, Kyle Cordiano. I am Pro Angler Cole Floyd. Stay tuned for more Bass Edge Radio. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. It is springtime, and, and I got to admit, spawning bass are fun to catch, sometimes controversial to anglers from a conservation standpoint, but uh, I'm going to digress on those issues. We've got the current BASS Elite Series sight fishing expert with us today on this episode, certainly by virtue of his Elite Series victory on Santee Cooper just a short week or so ago. 
big Bass Edge welcome to the newest angler to take home a blue trophy, BASS Elite Series Pro, Drew Cook. Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, Drew. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me on Bass Edge. It's still kind of setting in how everything came together last week. It was a it was a week I'll never forget for sure. Well, Drew, we are certainly excited to hear about that. By the way, congratulations. Well done there in Santee Cooper. And the fact that you are on Bass Edge means that something is going right, at least in your fishing world. So, uh, again, congratulations. Super impoundment there at uh, Santee Cooper and a very, very tough field. How was your short time as an Elite Series champion been so far? You know, I've, uh, I've, I've had a really great career um, so far, but I was missing that win. You know, I've, I've, I've been super consistent. That's what I wanted to be coming in to the elite series. I wanted to be, you know, a name that you saw year in and year out up there towards the top in the AOI points. You know, I wanted to be a, a guy that did good all year long and not just, you know, whenever we were in the South in the beginning of the year or something like that. I've, uh, I've really prided myself on, on trying to be the most consistent angler I could be. And, you know, it's gone just as good as I I could imagine. I've been very close to winning AOI in 2019, you know, and and been in the top 10, you know, in AOI since then as well. But that first trophy has eluded me, and I've I've been really close a couple of times. But whenever I tell you that you can feel it happening, you you really can. I've I've felt this feeling before, and and I fought it, and I you know, ended up not winning the event, but this, this week I, I could feel it coming and I just let it happen. It really was just a spectacular week that I'll, I'll never forget. Well, Drew, you, you're dead on. I mean, the consistency is there, even though you didn't win AO in AOI in 2019, you did win rookie of the year. Uh, I believe that was your first year on tour with the elite series. And uh, since then, it's just been um, a model of consistency. Sometimes it takes those experiences where you just fall short. We saw it with Jason Christie uh, several weeks ago at the Bassmaster Classic, and and he finally got that ticket punched. And uh, obviously you did the same here at Santee Cooper, been close in the past and uh, figured out that recipe to get the win. So uh, man, just, just a huge shout out out to you. We're going to dive right into the event, specifically educating angler on sight fishing as uh, you know, it's going to become a more prevalent tactic to catch bass over the next four to six weeks all over the country. First off, let's get right down to the basics, man. What triggers your instincts that it's time to look for bedding bass on a particular impoundment? You know, um, the old wives tale, if you would, if you see pollen, there's bass bedding. And that's pretty true everywhere in the country um if you if you see pollen on the water there's a really good chance that there's going to be sufficient bed but it's different you know throughout the country down here in the south they they need that that 63 degrees and whenever i say south i'm talking about tennessee to you know north carolina down that 63 degree water is what makes them click and and if you look at the weather if it's cold and you have a really strong warming trend coming, so like say it's in the, the lows are in the 30s and the highs are in the you know 50s, low 60s, and then you have three days of the lows in the you know high 50s and the highs in the in the 70s, that's going to be a really good indicator that that those fish are gonna are gonna move up because they don't have a calendar if that makes sense. Whenever it's right. And it feels right to them. That's when they're gonna they're gonna do it. They're not 
you know, it's not that, oh, the first week of April, we're going to spawn. You know, it's all about the weather, all about the moon. And the moon was really key this week. You know, we had a full moon on Friday, and that's what made the fish keep coming up. Um, you know, if we wouldn't have had the full moon, there still would have been some fish up there spawning, but it wouldn't have reloaded like it did. And uh, that was that was something that going into the tournament, you know, we knew it was coming. And the way that practice went, you know, it was still cold. It was 22 degrees the first morning of practice there. And that's not really exactly what you want whenever you're <laughs> trying to have a sight fishing tournament. You know, that's cold. In South Carolina, that's really cold. You know, we had that warming trend start after after that really cold, cold front. And, you know, the full moon helped tremendously. But even in practice, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of fish actually on bed. Like I only had two females on bed in practice, but I had seen some other females and they were just, they would be sitting either like next to a grass clump or, you know, on a pad point, uh, you know, back in a pocket. And you could tell like that female wanted to spawn. She was just waiting for a male to make a bed and, and come court her and bring her back to the bed. And fortunately enough, I marked a lot of those females in practice that weren't on the bed, but they were just hanging out. And the first day of the event, all the females that I had marked were on bed, you know, within probably 15 to 20 feet of where I had marked them in practice. And that no. was the the first sign of, man, this is going to be a great week. You know, this, yeah. things are going my way because that's not always how it happens. You know, a lot of times you'll mark some of these fish and, you know, you'll pull up on tournament day and, they'll be gone, whether they already spawned or the water drops. Any little thing can make them push off the bed or they're acting really squirrely. They were all up there. They were all acting right, and we got it started with the bang. Quickly, Drew, let me let me ask real quick. You, you mentioned water temperature, uh, moon phase, you know, pollen, some of those things. Specifically with the water temperature, you mentioned 63 degrees. You know, when, when, a, when an angler is going to launch their boat, at, you know, six, seven o'clock in the morning, you know, you're going to see X temperature at three o'clock, four o'clock. If you've got a nice sunny day, you're going to see Y temperature or, or maybe if it's cloudy. What is that range that you're really looking for when you say 63? Are you looking for a median of 63? Like it needs to start out at like 61 and, and reach 65 later on in the day? Or what do you feel like is your peak performance from a water temperature standpoint for these fish to be ready to lock on? From a, a peak performance, water temp is going to be around that 65. But if you put your boat in the water at daylight and the water temp is above 55 that day and you have a sunny day, mm -hmm. it's going to get to that 63. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. um, but if it gets below that 55, it's, it's very hard for it to come up, you know, that seven or eight degrees to get them through the night. The, the nights mean more than the days whenever it comes to your water temp, because you have the, the sun during the day that's helping warm, but at night there's no sun, you know? So if you get those warmer nights, those 60 degree nights, you know, that water temp is not going to drop as much, but I, I feel that the water temp can get all the way to 55. And if you have sunny conditions, then you're going to be okay that day. You know, the water temp is going to get warm enough and it's going to warm up fast enough to where the fish will stay up there. But it seems like below that 
55 is going to make things a little tough. That definitely makes sense. So we've established, Drew, that uh, all the boxes have been checked. You're you're seeing the, the signs that you've mentioned, and it's go time for fish to spawn. You know, when you begin working to locate bedding bass, where on the lake are you going to be pointing your boat to find them? Well, so that was the second time I'd ever been to Santee Cooper for a tournament. I'm, that was the third time total, but I'd never been there that time of year. And, and this is just going to kind of be a rundown of how I, you know, kind of break down a lake. The resources that we have on the internet these days is, is unbelievable. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, on the internet on, you know, tournament stats, you know, a lot of the, the tournaments that happen in places, you know, they'll give a general area of where it normally gets won or, or where the tournament was won, where second and third place was, things like that. And, you know, a lot of places will have a general area of where, where tournaments get won. And so I'll spend two days of practice in that general area of the lake, or it might be like on Santee Cooper, it had two lakes. The general area was the upper lake. You know, so, I mean, that is a giant area. Um, it's 130,000 acres or whatever it was, but that time of year, that's where most of the tournaments get won. Later in the spawn is whenever the lower lake really starts to play. So finding all that out before you ever get to the lake is key. And then once you get to the lake, you know, what I looked for was the bottom hardness and the water clarity. And there was, you know, both sides of the lake were good this past week, but on that Potato Creek side, you know, the water clarity was good and the bottom hardness was okay, but there was a lot of pads. And so, you know, when most people think about bedding bass, they think of a beautiful, bright, shiny, sandy bed. <laughs> right. And that is a lot of times, you know, the ones that people see are those big, bright, beautiful beds. But more fish spawn on pad roots or stumps or anything hard around a softer bottom than they do on those big, pretty beds. So when I found the area that had a couple patches of that really sandy and almost had some shell mixed in hard bottom that had some of those bright beds on it, but it was against uh, pad fields. I knew that that was going to be good because a lot of bass were going to spawn in those pads, uh, actually on the root balls of the pads. And it didn't matter what pads it was, dollar pads or, you know, the flat pads. But in practice, I did not find any bass on bed in the pads. You know, they had stopped on the edge of the pads in the sand and were spawning, you know, there. But the day the tournament started, they had moved into the pads. And Santee Cooper is one of those one of those places that they move up really quick. That's not really like that everywhere, you know, in the country. A lot of places, like especially, you know, some of the more northern places, they, they kind of just trickle up there. It seems like when it gets right, you know, on Santee Cooper, they kind of just flood the bank. So whenever I found an area that had the good water clarity and good bottom contour, or the good hard bottom. I kind of spent a lot of time in there and I found a, a spot within a spot, if you would. So I spent pretty much a day and a half in this one creek and I found one pocket that was different than every other pocket on the lake, really. It actually had deep water that went all the way 
to the back of it. It had six foot of water all the way to the back of it, like a, a like a creek channel. And I think that was was really the key. And I didn't give it credit in practice. I, I planned on fishing that area day one and half of day two and kind of burning it to the ground and then moving on. But, you know, day two rolls around and, and there's, you know, just as many up there as there was the day before. And it just kept reloading. And, you know, it, it was just a really, really special area that, you know, it's kind of like everything that you would want for a perfect spawning bay was there. It had the deep water, had the, the great bottom. And it had the pads, you know, the cover, everything was perfect. That's what leads to a blue trophy. <laughs> That's right. That's cool. All right, spawning bass. First, let me let me mention this. The event, uh, you know, I watched it online and, and kind of see what was going on. I really didn't pay much attention to the weather prior to the event. But, but in your description and what was going on, it really sounds like this was a mirror image of what took place in 2006 at the which was the first year of the elite series i actually was there at santee fished the event preston clark at the time won the event back in utahville and uh it was crazy cold in practice and the fish came up and and just started spawning and they just kept coming it was just the perfect scenario very very similar almost identical in my opinion to this event that just went down were you familiar with that 2006 event and in the historical knowledge of absolutely okay so did you relate that and you were like hey man i've, I've read this before i've seen this go yes. down yes the only thing that was different about um that 2006 was it had been cold for like a month prior right. And that really, I mean, it was like, you know, all the horses at the Kentucky Derby sitting behind that gate, <laughs> right. just chomping at the bit to go. And then, you know, when that tournament came around, the gate fell and they just, I mean, just took off running. What what was different about our event was 10 days before, you know, there was bass already spawning. It was 80 degrees there mm-hmm. uh, while we were at the Classic. Okay. And so that first massive wave kind of got split, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's why we didn't see those big 39 pound bags like Preston caught on day one. But it was it was it was the same scenario. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because before practice started, we were at a restaurant eating and Davey Height walks in and we were talking about the weather. And he goes, you know, sometimes it's nice for him to get knocked back a little bit. <laughs> right. uh, I, re- I remember it happened you know, a couple of years ago and it worked out pretty good. And and he was 100% right. And, you know, that's his home lake. He, he kind of – he knew it was coming. So For it, sure. it, it was. It was eerily similar to what took place in 2006. Interesting how history can repeat itself. And, and a guy like yourself that does the research, even though you didn't fish that event. And, heck, I don't know, were, were you in high school or college at that time? It's been a long time ago, right? It's, I don't know. I was, I was in sixth grade. When that took place. <laughs> Outstanding. I love it. All right, Drew, spawning bass can be super fickle once they're located on the bed. Interested to find out what lures are on your deck from the beginning of the day and kind of what's that last if- effort that you'll use to trigger a bass before you, you move on looking for another fish. A lot of people have difficulty, you know, kind of dialing this thing in. Do they go with the white, bright colors? Do they go with the more natural colors? What's on Drew Cook's deck when he knows there's a sight? fishing event going on so my kind of run-of-the-mill layout that i have is i'm gonna have a a weightless stick bait a five inch big bite trick stick on a five aught you know big hook gamagatsu hook and 
20 pound line, like big, heavy, set the hook, apply maximum pressure, bring them to the boat type stuff. I'm going to also have a popping frog, a spro popping frog, and I'm going to have a prop bait. Now, my prop baits, they kind of vary a little bit. You know, obviously in Florida, uh, where there's needlefish and things like that, I like a Bangalore. I mean, they were catching them on Bangalore's before I was even a twinkle in my dad's eye <laughs> and they still catches them today. But whenever we move to those, you know, landlocked lakes or man-made lakes that don't have the needlefish, I'm going to go to a, a smaller a brim style prop bait. I've got a couple of custom made uh, balsa prop baits that I, that I like. And I'm going to start the morning off every morning with those three baits. Because you can on that popping frog and that prop bait, you can you can get lucky and get one of those big females to first cast bite. You know, I, I prefer to hook them on that weightless trick stick because you know whenever I hook them, I've pretty much got them. You know, it's a single yeah. hook, <laughs> right? Um, and I'm gonna have a wacky rig uh, rigged up, but and the wacky rig is great. You could probably start the day off with the wacky rig and you know do just fine. But I'd like to try to catch them on something a little bit bigger first. I'm also going to have a, a swim jig. And a swim jig is going to play more whenever it's uh, a little bit further along in the spawn. You know, whenever there's a lot of fish that have already laid their eggs and, like, they're really chasing the brim off their beds. You know, you're seeing them wake and things like that. But that's another thing that you can catch them without actually getting all the way up there on them and, and, and looking at them. And then we're going to get to the nitty gritty of what, you know, what pays the bills. I'm going to have two fighting frogs set up. I'm going to have a four inch big bite baits fighting frog and a five inch big bite baits fighting frog. And both of them are going to be tilapia magic. Tilapia magic is a, it's a, a really natural base color. It's a green pumpkin base color. It's got a little bit of purple fleck in it, a little bit of blue fleck in it, but it's got this silver fleck in it. And uh, the silver fleck does more than anything. Whenever you have that bait in the bed and you're shaking that bait, you know, all the appendages are moving and everything. When the sun's shining on it, I mean, you can look at it and you'll just see a ray of light shoot off. And, and that's just one of those things that just triggers a bass even more so to go over there and eat it. And then I'm also going to have a drop shot rigged up, but not a drop shot, you know, on a spinning rod type thing. I'm going to have a drop uh -huh. shot rigged up on like 18 pound test, you know, with a, uh, my bait depends on it. Um, but it's going to have like a half ounce weight, you know, a really heavy weight that I can keep it in the bed. And those are, that's just for those fish that are, that are, uh, a little higher in the water column. Like they're not on the bottom of the bed and they don't really seem to want to go down to the bottom to, to bite something. Right. You know, that's going to be those fish that are hovering, you know, uh, suspended, on the bed and that's a, like a almost last ditch effort like uh i you, i think i pulled it out twice last week over four days so it's very situational but the fighting frog is, is going to be the go-to and the reason i have the two different sizes i have the four inch the four inch is what i use most of the time if i can see the male and the female i will i will use the four inch or if it's just a big male up there i'll use the four inch but if I go by bed and I see, you know, there's a big female and a male on it um, and I back off, I'm going to use that five inch, uh, which is a, a, a it's it's only an inch longer, but it's a, substantially bigger than the four inch uh -huh. fighting frog. And 
that's just in hopes of that that female wanting to bite that first and you know not having to accidentally catch the male and throw the male back and things like that and throughout the years of me doing this i've seen it a couple times i've actually seen you know a pair on the bed and had turtles you know either swim into the bed or crawl into the bed <laughs> and actually seen the female bite the turtle put it in her mouth and swim it you know off the bed you know 10 or 15 feet and drop it and in that situation when both times that happened that i've seen it the next cast i i, I caught them so i that big fighting frog you know sure it looks like a brim but it, it, it could also look like a you know a small turtle and it might not make a difference it might that might not mean anything but i, I think it definitely does help and so like on my four inch i'm gonna have it on a quarter ounce weight um, which is a fairly lightweight compared to what a lot of other people use mm -hmm. um, on a four alt Gamagatsu G finesse heavy cover worm hook. And then on the five alt or the five inch, I'm going to have a five alt G power Gamagatsu flipping hook and, and a three eighths ounce weight. Everything's a little beefed up. Yeah. Just, just a little bit bigger than the four inch, but you know, still pretty, pretty much the same proportion wise. Um, you know, everything fits, you know, fine. But like that hook, especially the on the four inch bait, that four odd hook, it fits it perfect to where like if it gets more than just the legs, like you got him. They and, get the point. <laughs> and that's what you want. You know, you don't want something that, you know, the the bait, you know, if they get half the bait in their mouth, you're not gonna hook them, things like that. Absolutely. Well, hey, Drew, appreciate that detailed description of uh, what's on your deck in those sight fishing tournaments. As Drew would on a betting bass, we're going to power pole down for a quick pause in the action. We'll be right back with more from BASS Elite Series champion, Drew Cook. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, power pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Power pole, swift, silent, secure. Visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine, returning with BASS Elite Series angler Drew Cook in this episode's featured angler spotlight. Mercury Marine, go boldly. Drew often overlooked his boat position on betting bass. What factors are going to play into your decision on how to position your boat for best results to catch fish off the bed. And, and I got to mention real quick also, more than ever with live scope and the, in the units that we all have on the, or a lot of, a lot of pros have on the front of their boats. When you see pros really getting up on the bow, standing on the trolling motors. I remember Randy Howe used to do this all the time back in the day, but now really more than ever, it seems like a lot of, a lot of anglers are really trying to get up on the nose of that boat. So talk to us real quick about position, why that's important and what it does for you to get that far up on the nose of the boat. There's a few things that are going to factor into the position of my boat. And uh, the main one is going to be the sun. I want that sun behind me for two reasons. Number one, when the fish looks in my direction, it's pretty much blinded by the sun. Number two is the glare off the water. Um, you know, I don't want that sun in the same direction as that bed because you're going to have a glare somewhere. You're going to end up being, you know, in an awkward position trying to look 
Another thing that factors into it is where the bed is positioned uh, against a piece of cover, whether it be a stump or a uh, pad stem or, you know, something like that. And and in the pads, it's really about where I can land my bait a good distance past the bed and, and be able to bring it into the bed at the far end of the bed, you know, not where I bring it into the bed and I'm already halfway through it. Um, I want to be able to use that whole bed to be able to find that sweet spot. And those are the, the two main things. But what you were talking about, about the, the troll motor, that extra few inches, it, the further you can get away from one, the quicker you're going to catch them. And time is money and everything. So I, I really do like to get as far away as possible from these fish. And, and if, I, if I know one's up there, I mean, I'll stay 50 feet away and cast up there to it. Um, but a lot of times you're going to have to to get close enough to see the fish. And, you know, if you can do that without moving any your boat any closer, because everything makes noise in your boat, whether your your live right. well is running. I mean, I turn my grass off, but, you know, there's, there's always noises. And the further away you can keep that from the bass, the better. And, you know, standing on top of that, the trolling motor bracket is, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but... Sometimes that's all you need is just a little bit more to to be able to see everything you need and not spook the fish. I'll be going over but, the lake. <laughs> I'll be setting the hook. I'll be off the side in a heartbeat. <laughs> that is another thing that you have to worry about. Uh, whenever you're up there and you set the hook on one, it, it's getting down. And, you know, we all pretty much all of us have three graphs up there now. Or used to, it used to be just one graph and, you know, you can jump over one graph pretty easy. Three graphs is, is a little bit different, but somehow all week I, I never ended up on the laid out on the front deck or in the water. So that's good. I'm not, you know, a, a ninja or anything like that. <laughs> I don't have cat-like reflexes. I think it was Welcher. I think I saw a video of Welcher falling over the side when he set the hook in an event, or maybe it was at the St. John's or something. Yeah, but, it, but was, he was, it was Welcher. He was yep. standing up once out of that thing, and I was like, oh, dude, that would be my highlight right there. <laughs> and it, it does happen. <laughs> Drew, you're laying down a lot of great information here. I want to try and fit in another question or two before we head to listener question uh, segment. But, you know, my experience has been that I've often seen anglers do well in one day events utilizing you know the strategy of catching bedding fish i think it possibly becomes a little more difficult in a multi-day you know event winter relying on bedding fish what uh, were your strategic keys to pull it off at santee elite series no it, it definitely does get harder you know the more days you have to fish so i have a there's a method to, to my madness when it comes to sight fishing multi-day tournaments in practice I mark the bass and if like I know that say the weather is going to be, you know, if it's going to be cloudy or rainy or whatever, whenever I mark a bass, I will mark it. And then in my notes on my Lawrence graph, I will put a lineup in there. So I'll line up, you know, with a dock post and a, the furthest pad or, you know, whatever it is to line up with. And, you know, I'll, I'll put the weight of the fish in there and have a lineup. But if it's not, you know, going to have weather like that, what I do is I have a mark for females and I have a mark for day one bass, which are going to be like your really easy, obvious beds. Um, those are the ones you want to catch first. Those are the ones you want to catch on day one and, and you know, kind of burn those to the ground because you know that other people have found those. And then I'm going to mark day two bass or, you know, could be day three bass, you know, you just 
tens. Those are going to be those deeper beds, the harder to see beds, the the black beds, um, the ones that are in like the silt bottom that you know are just spawning on a couple old dead reeds or something like that. Something that a lot of people are going to miss, you know, whether the bass is under a bush or you know, a lot of the the hard to see places or it's all by itself in the back of a pocket. Um, those are going to be the bass that you want to go to after day one. And then, you know, after day two, if you, you know, you're probably going to have a couple left over that you marked, you know, those are going to be the bass that get you started on day three. And, you know, you're going to have to find new ones at that point because there's no way you could find an area and have it to yourself to mark enough bass for a four day event. They're going to have to pull up and you're going to have to find new ones. But that little, rundown of how I mark the bass is really key. And this is something that, that me and, and Drew Bitten have, have come up, up with over the years to be successful in these sight fishing tournaments because they are hard to win uh, multi-day sight fishing tournaments. You know, I was fortunate enough to win this one, but just three weeks ago, Drew Bitten was a few ounces away from winning one sight fishing the whole time too. So, I mean, it can be done. Do you um, feel like you've got to be all in in practice and be successful with this small bass pattern? I do. I do think that um, if it's going to be a, a true sight fishing tournament, you've got to be committed. Like in practice at St. Cooper, I didn't, I didn't catch anything. I just trolled motor down, just kept but on. But you kind of had that anticipation water. of what was going to happen, and, and you, you were more or less gambling on a push coming, which led you to, to this victory. Would you agree? Correct. 100 yeah. percent and and in practice whenever i was trolling motor in some of these areas there wouldn't be a bat on bed like there wouldn't be a bat but just going through there and being able to see you know what the bottom looked like things like that you know yeah. you, you you make you a note sense. of that and you could sense this, it this yeah. is gonna be good you right. know right great stuff man great stuff well i'll tell you what we're gonna move right into the uh nitro performance bass boats listener question segment uh this question actually came through our bass edge instagram page Dwayne Beatty out of arkansas drew he wants to know what is your favorite pre-spawn strategy and what are your favorite lures to make the most of it my favorite thing about pre-spawn is, is catching them on a lipless crankbait. I, I love to get out there and, you know, throw a Roku shot around. And it just always seems like the best bites you get all year are in the pre-spawn time whenever you're throwing a trap in the back of a pocket. And you can find them really loaded up. All those fish are, are sitting there waiting to spawn. They're ganged up. And uh, it would have to be a trap and a, and a jerk bait. And a shallow crankbait, you know, like a, a medium diving crankbait, like a four to six foot, like a, a little John MD, something like that. And it just seems even if it's cold, like the air temps 30 and the water temps in the 40s, whenever you catch them on that, that lip list, I mean, you're reeling it a lot quicker than you would fish anything else whenever it's that cold and, and they just knock slack in your line. I love that. Hey, Drew, quickly on that, does color matter? Are you trying to match the bait fish, or is it a brim or a crawfish color, or do you really not uh, pay much attention to the color and more of an action? So pre-spawn, I, I keep it pretty simple. Obviously, red is good. Red in pre-spawn is just phenomenal. But I also have that shad don't change their color throughout the year type deal. So you got to keep the, the a, a chrome and blue or a chrome and black or gold, you know, honest. But it does seem like in the pre-spawn time that those those crawfish colored red and orange 
traps really do shine. Yeah, well, uh, great question, Dwayne. Always interesting how an angler's, you know, fishing strengths and confidence really come to the forefront. Drew, we certainly appreciate your insights, of course. Dwayne, be sure, send us an email at Supported Bass Edge, letting us know you heard Drew answer your question, or simply log on to BassEdge.com, click the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and uh, state that Drew answered your question right here on episode 373. And a reminder to Bass Edge listeners, keep firing those questions to our Instagram page and Facebook. You'll see us post those Midway gift cards out there for uh, the next listener question chosen to be a winner right here on Bass Edge Radio. Well, uh, Drew, certainly uh, we have, I think, exhausted our uh, welcome, perhaps, by picking your brain to pieces about your winning tactics there on Santee. Just great information. And you got to give our uh, lucky listener, Dwayne Beatty, a Midway USA gift card to uh, go out and buy some of that stuff that you mentioned on how you were able to put that victory together. Fun having you here on Bass Edge Radio. Any closing thoughts for the listeners? Hey, I appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, um, whenever you find yourself in one of those sight fishing situations, don't get too frustrated and, and end up spending too much time on, on one fish. Leave that fish and, and find another one and then come back to that one later in the day as it's further along in the spawning process and easier to catch. Again, great insight, Drew. Thanks for being with us. Good luck out there on Chickamauga. We might be a see our little repeat. I know uh, spawning season is moving from the south to the north, so you never know how that's going to line up, but uh, good luck out there and the rest of the season on the Elite Series. Bass Edge Nation, stay right here. Aaron and I will be right back after this brief break. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Kurt, I am practically out of breath. That has to be one of our records of most information in a single <laughs> airing episode of Bass Edge Radio. Man, you packed it full this time. Yeah, that that's a, a marathon show for sure. So uh, enjoyed it. But that's what you get with bass fishing in the springtime. Uh, this is the time of year to get out on the water. This is the time of year that the the industry is hopping and uh, things are bumping. And we, and we don't want to miss a beat, Aaron. And uh, providing this information out there. Great featured angler spotlight with Drew Cook, man. Awesome information he brought to the table, specifically talking about sight fishing and um, just, you know, his tournament tactics 
of how he breaks it down. No doubt. And of course, it started out there with uh, the huge uh, World Fishing Fair. Then got to hear from our good buddy, Mark Lesane and uh, just so much information. But hopefully, uh, this information will be put to work in the coming days or weeks for all Bass Edge Nation. Kurt, as always, uh, really enjoyed being at the mic with you again for this episode. And I'm sure come April 15th, uh, we will have another full house queued up, ready to go. Yes, we will. It'll, it'll be another great episode. So uh, Bass Edge Nation, stay out there. Enjoy fishing. Springtime. It's time to get out there. Aaron, it's time of year to catch a big bass. So let's do it. Yes, sir. All right. Well, for Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. Be sure to stay on, on all things Bass Edge through our social media or certainly uh, BassEdge.com. In the meantime, stay safe out there. Wear those life jackets and uh, go catch some bass, everybody. So long. We'll see you next time right here on Bass Edge. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Midway USA, Mercury Marine, Power Pole, and transport graphics.